From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you've got a question for Father Wade Menezes, give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one 205 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email. That's email address is openline at ewtn.com. And uh, just put Father Wade or Tuesday in the subject line and it'll get to where it belongs. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes. How are you? I'm doing great, Jack. You know, a week ago today on Tuesday, we had the mailbag show because I was off that day on my birthday. <laughs> so I turned the big 5-7 and I turned it uh, into a retreat day there at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament where I actually spent a week there. So it was quite nice. And uh, a shout out to my family and friends who contacted me that day. And a shout out to my nephew, Blake, who just informed me by a, by a text just within the last hour that he's going to Portugal and wants to know where he should go while he's there. <laughs> and I I'm like, are you kidding me? You're Portuguese, right? You go to Fatima. You go yeah. to the Eucharistic miracle at Santa Rem, which isn't far from Fatima. So, so he's all excited now. He's already texted me back maps on how close the two locations are. So a shout out to Blake as well. Awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> so, Father Wade, you always have a springboard topic at the beginning of every program, and I sit with you at least one day a week. The majority of the year. So, brother, I'm telling you, I know all about white martyrdom. White martyrdom. Is, is this hour with me a white martyrdom for you, Jack? <laughs> no, but it makes for a good joke. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, good. Well, before we talk about white martyrdom, I want to give a few saints quotes. Listen to this, St. John Paul II. The saints have always been the source and origin of renewal in the most difficult moments of the church's history. Quote, end quote. What a bumper sticker that would make, right? St. Bernard of Clairvaux, when I think of the saints, I feel myself inflamed by a tremendous yearning. St. Francis of Assisi, sanctify yourself and you will sanctify society. St. Mary Mazzarello, make up your mind to just become a saint. How about that one, huh? And St. Therese, doctor of the church, you cannot be a half a saint, no. You must be a whole saint or no saint at all. Now, what do these five quotes have in common? Suffering. What's another phrase for suffering? A white martyrdom. As opposed to the red martyrdom of blood, where we actually die for the faith, our springboard topic today, Jack, is about white martyrdom. It's a composition, in other words, of courage in daily life, according to Pope Pius XI. He said this on the 
feast day of St. Thomas More, husband, father, lawyer, and chancellor of England, who was martyred through a red martyrdom for standing up for natural marriage. Listen to this. Pius XI says, there are in fact many opportunities for imitating the martyrs without the red martyrdom of blood and death. There is a white martyrdom that consists in the anguish which each of us experiences in himself in following the ways of God and in the fulfillment of his proper daily duty. There is a white martyrdom that consists in the difficulty of a daily duty exactly, faithfully, and fully accomplished. There is a white martyrdom as well, which occurs in the continual persevering fidelity in little things, in those little demands each day for diligence in the divine service of God and neighbor, in the daily duty which becomes a daily cross. And Pope Pius Twelfth, from his homily during the canonization mass of St. Maria Goretti, who was another red martyrdom, okay, who did die a red martyrdom, says this, not all of us are expected to die a red martyr's death, no, but we are all called to the pursuit of Christian virtue. This demands strength of character, though it may not match that of this innocent girl, Maria Goretti. Still a constant, persistent, and relentless effort is asked of us right up to the moment of our death. This may be conceived as a slow, steady martyrdom, which Christ urged upon us when he said, quote, the kingdom of heaven is set upon and laid waste by violent sources, quoting Matthew 11, verse 12. So there you have it. In a nutshell, a composition of courage in daily life known as a white martyrdom from both Pius XI and Pius XII. Pius XI again giving us his statement on the red martyrdom feast day of St. Thomas More, and Pius XII, his successor with that name, giving us his quote on the red martyrdom feast day of St. Maria Goretti, stabbed 14 times by Alessandro Serenelli, who later converted. I've I've talked about his conversion as a prior springboard. So white martyrdom is the faithfulness in daily life, whatever our vocation in state and life. I invite our Open Line Tuesday listeners today, Jack, whether they're watching or listening on any of our platforms, to call in today and give us a witness about a white martyrdom that you might be going through and what is sustaining you through it. It could be something that you've brought on yourself through your own stubbornness, your own lack of faith. It's something you sprung on yourself, and now you're finally learning your lesson, and you can give a great witness about that today by calling us. Or maybe it's a white martyrdom because an outside force was thrust upon you. Maybe something unjust was done to you, but you're getting through it. You're not going to hold grudges. You're not going to brood over injuries received, which is one of the sins against the Holy Spirit, brooding over injuries received. No, you're going to You're going to pick up your boots. You're going to continue walking forward because the saints move forward. I'm not asking for a confession today on Open Line Tuesday. I'm just calling for a simple one or two sentence uh, witness of what your white martyrdom is and how you're getting through it. You'd be surprised at how your call can be a witness call to so many others. You want proof of this? Let's go through Uh, a cast of characters from the Old and New Testament that went through their own white martyrdom, okay? I love this list, Jack. I wish I was on it, okay? (laughs) Here we go. Because you might think that God still can't use you during your white martyrdom, but he can, okay? So the next time you feel that God can't use you, just remember this cast of characters from the Old and New Testament. Noah, he was a drunk, at least a few times we know of. 
Abraham was thought to be too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob a liar. Leah was considered too ugly. Joseph was abused by his own natural blood brothers who sold him into slavery. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. How about Jeremiah and Timothy were thought to be too young, huh? How about David? King David committed adultery and was a subsequent murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah was skeptical. Jonah ran away from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Elizabeth was thought to be too old. And for crying out loud, Jack, John the Baptist ate bugs. (laughs) All right. Martha worried about everything. Do you know people like that? They worry about everything. How about Bartimaeus, who was blind? The Samaritan woman was divorced at least five times that we know of, maybe more. Lazarus was actually dead, and our Lord used him. Zacchaeus was too short. James and John and their mother were a bit too self-seeking and prideful. Peter denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times, and our Lord still called him to head the church. The apostles fell asleep while praying on the night of the arrest. Thomas doubted. Paul was thought to be too religious a zealot. And the apostle John was exiled on an island where he wrote his greatest works, huh? His New Testament letters and his gospel. So no more excuses. God can use you to your full potential, even in the midst of a white martyrdom, a white martyrdom of suffering, whether it's something you bring on yourself through your own stubbornness, like your alcoholism and yet refuse to go to AA and seek help, or whether it's something that's thrust upon you from an outside source. God can use you still. God can use your white martyrdom, and he wants to make you a great, great saint. Never, ever remember this, my dear friends. Never, I mean, never, never uh, lose sight of this reality. Never forget this, my dear friends. Never lose sight of these wonderful, wonderful realities. So there you go. And I end with this. St. Philip Neri, one should not wish to become a saint in four days, but rather step by step. St. Bernard of Clairvaux, the way of perfection is not traveled by flying, but by walking. And St. Augustine, God offers us a very short route to the possession of himself. 833-288-EWTN. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's one 833 288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, if you enjoy EWTN Bookmark Brief with Doug Keck and Who Doesn't, you can receive weekly emails, including a short video blog. It features the author giving a short synopsis of their work in his or her own words, and you can visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. 
And just when you thought we were free of our former colleague, Dave Vacheris, who is now the president of Annunciation Radio in Toledo, right. in Toledo, Ohio, uh, Father Wade is going to rip the Band-Aid off that wound. And uh, That's right, Jack. Tomorrow... Uh, on Wednesday, August 31st at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, I'm going to be doing a live radio interview with the show called Faith with Reasons. Hosts are Ron Finn and Deacon Joe Malenfant. And I'm going to be talking about my new book, Op- uh, Catholic Essentials. I was going to say Open Line Tuesday. My new book, Catholic Essentials, uh, that I'm holding up here to the screen during my Open Line Tuesday show. For those of you watching live on YouTube or our Facebook live feed, I'm holding that up now. There'll be a live interview where I really delve in deeply into the book. It's 81 short chapters uh, that cover the five parent categories of dogma, morals, ecclesiology, liturgy, and sacraments. Um, Also, the four episodes that I did with Jack's lovely wife, Johnette Williams, are now posted at womenofgrace.com. Uh, for the dates of August 22nd through 24th, you can watch those there. Excuse me, August 22nd through the 25th. All four episodes are listed there. They're a half hour in length each. And also on September 11th, uh, speaking of uh, Doug Keck's bookmark, Jack, which you just mentioned as we came back from the break, uh, the episode of me with Doug on bookmark will be on September 11th at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, talking about my new book, Catholic Essentials, a guide to understanding key church teachings. So tune into these various uh, uh, platforms to hear me talk about more about the book. When do you sleep? <laughs> That's a good question. Some of my confers <laughs> asked me that same question. You know, I ran into um, I was at uh, I was at a big event in San Antonio last weekend, and uh, Father Ken Geraci, vocations director for the Father of Mercy, was don't in know. town. I, I don't know yeah. him at all. Yeah. He was <laughs> he was at the he was not at a part of our event, but he came over just to say hello to us at our event, and uh, someone came up to him. While we were chatting and mentioned you, and he said, oh, yeah, Father Wade's a machine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've been called worse. (laughs) There you go. To the phones we go. First up is Amy in Atlanta, Georgia, listening at EWTN.com. Amy, you're on with Father Wade. Good afternoon. Hi, Father. We have a situation that's arisen that we needed to solve or resolve a debate. Um, I have a friend whose sister was baptized and practicing Catholic. Sadly, she passed away, um, and she was cremated. However, her husband is non-Catholic, and he has the ashes and says he's going to spread them somewhere, I don't know where. And her family is saying, no, 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 you can't do that. As a Catholic, we have to bury them. He said, she was my wife. We're not going to do that. We're going to spread them. So one of their family members said... I wonder if we can get some of the ashes and bury them. So I asked a priest who told me yes, and my friend asked the priest and said no. So we need to know the answer. Yeah, I've never heard that you cannot get at least some of the cremains if the one who has lawful authority over them is willing to give them to a member of the family to bury them. Uh, That, to my knowledge, that can be done. It doesn't have to be all scattered or all buried. Uh, to my knowledge, there's no church teaching. The, the church's teaching is, ideally, to definitely bury, okay? And you do, do that either in the ground or in a columbarium. 
either or. Uh, cemeteries offer different services for that. An above-ground columbarium, uh, an in-the-ground columbarium. Also, some cemeteries, I've said in the past on Open Line Tuesday, permit the cremains to go in an in a already existing family member's grave that's a full-body burial, where the full-body burial is six to seven feet down. Some cemeteries, the county that the cemetery exists in, the county permits the, the urn to be buried four to five feet down on top of the casket. So church teaching is that when cremation takes place, all of the ashes are to be interred or buried, okay, interred or buried. However, when you have a non-Catholic spouse or a Catholic spouse who's inimical to the teachings of the church, uh, and they're the, the one who has lawful authority over the cremains, there's not much you can do outside of trying to patiently and uh, joyfully uh, witnessing to them as to why the Church has the teaching that she has in regards to burying the remains. If they remain adamant, and you can't intervene because lawfully they have jurisdiction over their, their spouse's ashes, then in this case, if you can get some of the ashes and you want to have a proper interment for part of those ashes, I think that's very noble, and I know of no Church uh, law against it. Uh, it's better to have some buried than to have all scattered. I'm going to repeat that. It's better to have some buried, some of the ashes buried, than have them all scattered. Because remember, the whole reason why we want to inter or bury the ashes or bury the full body is for two primary reasons. Number one, to not to show an animosity to the reality of the resurrection. We believe that the remains or cremains of a body are here of a prior living person made in the image and likeness of God with a body-soul composite is buried here in this specific location, uh, in this specific cemetery, who was born on the, this specific day and who died in this specific day, and then other things that might appear on a headstone like loving wife and mother or loving grandmother, uh, whatever. We know about this person because they're here. That's number one. We're not denying that they never existed. That's number one. Number two, we're also not denying the reality of the resurrection. We believe this person with these, this marking on their headstone or on this frontisplate of their columbarium location uh, will one day rise again from the dead. So it's not to forget them. There's an actual physical location where we can go to offer suffrages for them, where we can go to pray for them on their anniversary of birth, their anniversary of death, if we're able to, uh, their, their wedding anniversary. I would think the husband would want a specific physical location where on his anniversary of marriage to this woman, he could go pray a rosary. Uh, even if he wasn't Catholic, he could offer a rosary on his wife's behalf for the blessed repose of her soul. Uh, you know, so these, this is just me talking out loud, but it's better to have some of the cremains buried than to have all of them scattered. And we're able to put up a plate on the columbarium of, of their birthday, their death date, what they were in life, loving wife, mother, grandmother, etc. We're able to acknowledge them. We, we're acknowledging the resurrection at the same time. We're not denying the resurrection. And these are the good reasons that the church gives us why we must bury the full body or inter or bury the ashes in an urn. Uh, so these are points to witness to him. But again, he civilly has authority over his wife's cremains. There's not much you can do except privately and charitably 
try to witness to him as to some of these reasons. Mention his wedding anniversary. Wouldn't you, don't you want somewhere to go on your wedding anniversary to offer suffrages for your wife, for the blessed repose of her soul? Someplace where she's going to be marked and honored in a specific location. So other than that, but to answer your specific question, I, I don't, I've never heard of anything about church teaching that you either have to uh, uh, bury all the ashes, or if you can't do that, then you have to scatter all the ashes. It would be the mind of the church uh, to bury at least some, because again, it's better to bury some of the ashes than to have all of them scattered. Great question. Thank you so much. Thanks, Amy. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Uh, Nate is in the southwestern United States listening also on the EWTN app. Nate, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Jack. My brother Nate. How you doing? Very Good, well, Nate. thank you. And Padre, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, Padre, I just have a quick question. Um, I had a situation at Mass um, that happened. Um, our bishop actually came out with a letter uh, to the laity um, in regards to a, um, a priest in a neighboring diocese, because we're next door to each other, um, that this particular priest had gotten his faculties taken away. He was not in communion with the Pope, and um, announced that in, he still practices the Latin Mass in that diocese, um, and I guess does it independently, but his faculties are taken away. So he warned the laity that anybody that who does attend um, his Latin Mass um, would, be, um, uh, would merit uh, excommunication from the Church. He also did mention that any of the sacraments celebrated by this particular priest, and matter of fact, he had been in his diocese for 45 years, um, any sacraments that he did celebrate in that time um, are null and void. So my first question would be this. With those sacraments, if anybody had received them, now do they have to be like, okay, well, i got to redo all my sacraments? That's my first question. The second question would be this. Um, now, I know you can't you know, particularly speak on our situation um, in the neighboring diocese, but what does merit excommunication from the Church according to what Mother Church teaches? Once again, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I'll get your take on that. Thanks, Nate, for your questions. Uh, first of all, without knowing the specific um, situation and, and the points of the case in question that the visiting bishop was talking about. I, it's impossible for me to answer that. But it does sound like his public faculties were revoked, but his private faculties remain in place. In other words, he can continue to celebrate Mass privately. It sounds like the way you describe the situation, and I'm only answering that way based on how you describe the situation. Uh, other than that, there's not really much more I can say about that. Um, as far as his sacraments go, uh, usually the sacraments that he could already celebrate as a priest uh, would be valid but illicit. They'd be valid by virtue of his holy orders, but they'd be illicit, meaning against the law, by virtue of the fact that the priest uh, took away his public faculties, and so he shouldn't celebrate a baptism, he shouldn't celebrate uh, public uh, masses, etc. Those, those sacraments would still be valid, but gravely illicit, okay? Um, a, a priest can also, for example, by authority of the bishop, can uh, be properly deputed, where we get the word 
uh, same Latin root as the word deputy from. Think of a deputy under a, under a sheriff. Think of the bishop as the sheriff and the priest, the parish priest, as the deputy uh, for the sheriff. Um, there's cases where a bishop can properly depute a parish priest to administer the sacrament of confirmation to his members, to the members of his flock. Uh, so so if, if he uh, didn't have the proper faculties to do that, uh, in that case, then it would not only be invalid, but also illicit, okay? Because the sacrament of confirmation is not part and parcel like communion and baptisms are for the priesthood. You have to be properly deputed as well by the bishop for confirmation. So it varies from sacrament to sacrament, but that's the best I would answer in that regard. As far as excommunication, it depends on what was uh, what transpired between the individual, and it would involve the bishop having to declare the excommunication. Great questions. Thanks. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Our producer extraordinaire, Michael McCall, and myself getting Father Wade up to speed on all the terminology involved in professional wrestling. So now that we have that behind us, we can move on to Joe, who is in Sailorsburg, Pennsylvania, listening on the Amazon Echo. Joe, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father. First of all, i, I got to tell you, um, I saw you last week on Women of Grace, and every time my wife sees her, she says she likes her hair. But anyway, you know, <laughs> the question Yeah. The question I want to ask you is I'll be seventy one next month and I've never heard until last week when you happened to mention that you thought that the obligation to refrain from the hour fast before communion ends at age sixty five. And the reason that I'm calling on the question is I've been disabled all my life. And that might be a thing of quite martyrdom, too. But um, I'm dependent on people, you know, to get around. And when I can't find a ride to Mass, and I even called the cab company one time to find out how much it would cost. What I'm getting at is, is there an age where all the obligations are lifted so that uh, someone with a sensitive conscience like me um, I don't have to, you know, be overly concerned if I just can't get there. If there's a, like I heard in, in the Diocese sure. of Birmingham, age 65, you know, yeah. there's no more obligation. That kind of thing. Yeah, actually, it's age 59. So for members of the Latin Catholic Church, the Latin Rite Catholic Church, uh, the norms on fasting are obligatory from age 18 until 59. And, and when fasting, a person is permitted it's understood as, as one full meal, one standard full meal, as well as two smaller meals that, that together are not equal to a full meal. And the fast itself, of course, is an hour before reception of the Eucharist. It's nice to have the full hour before Mass begins, but technically speaking, it's one full hour before reception of communion, okay? So it's 59, not 65. Now, when you say, is there any age where all obligations are lifted? Are, are, a simple yes or no, Joe, are you referring to like Sunday Mass obligation, the ob- obligation to go to Mass if you can? Right. Okay, because yeah. all obligations is a big phrase. Uh, there isn't, other than for the fasting ages, but 18 to 59, but that there is an understood 
rule in the church, and that is that Holy Mother Church never asks more from the individual than he or she is able to give. So if you're truly, truly homebound, you're excused from Sunday Mass. That's a given. Now, another question remains, however, are you well enough to have somebody from the parish bring you Holy Communion? The pastor himself, his deacon, his associate pastor, or maybe a properly deputed lay minister of Holy Communion, what's called an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. Somebody that's on the church's roster that's properly deputed, or because of their faculties as a cleric, a deacon or priest, associate pastor or pastor, can bring you Holy Communion, because if that's the case, then you should make the sincere effort to get on the parish roster to receive Holy Communion, hopefully at least once a week, and then you can make the request with that lay person or the deacon or the associate pastor uh, to go to confession, if it's the deacon or the lay person that brings you communion, you, you tell them you'd like to make an appointment with one of the priests at the parish to go to confession faithfully once a month, for example, near or on the first Friday or near or on the first Saturday. It doesn't have to be then, but first Friday, first Saturday, in honor of the Immaculate Heart and the Sacred Heart is, an, is a, an easy time to remember, oh, I want to go to monthly confession. So that's a good thing. Uh, and then if it's the priest himself, associate pastor or pastor himself bringing Holy Communion, you could ask for confession on the spot. Uh, before, just before they give it to you, say, Father, I'd like to go to confession first. Um, so the church never demands for, you know, even if you're, you know, late 20s, early 30s, and you're healthy as a horse, and, but yet you get a flat tire on the way to Mass, and, and you, you miss Mass completely. Uh, well, there's no fault of, on, your, on your part of missing that Mass because of the flat tire, but the question remains now, is there a later Mass you can go to? Let's say the flat tire happened on a Sunday morning. Are there Sunday evening Masses in your area? You know, if you're a college town or a university town where you live, chances are there's going to be a Sunday evening Mass, right? Because usually college towns, university towns have, have a Sunday evening Mass. So the question remains, can you still get to Mass at another time? Uh, so the church never, ever demands more from us, Joe, than what we're able to give. Never forget that. But as far as the age goes, the ages go, it's 18 to 59 for, for fasting. And then after that, uh, you don't strictly have to fast unless you want to. You know, well, my gosh, that's only two years away for me. I just turned 57. Uh, two more years, I'll be 59. So, uh, you know, I, I hope to continue fasting, God willing, my health permits it. I want to continue partaking of how the church guides her members. I want to continue to be able to fast as long as I can. But not everybody can do that, and that's understood, and the church understands that. So thank you, Joe, today for, for your call from uh, uh, Sailorsburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, your call was a great witness call, especially for our uh, older Open Line Tuesday listeners out there. So, Father Wade, when the church makes this, ed- this age edict with regard to fasting, that includes days of fasting— as you described earlier, and the pre-mass fast as well? Yes, I think I mentioned only the pre-mass fast. The other two days where we're bound to fast would be Ash Wednesday and also Good Friday. And the other Fridays of Lent, we're not bound to fast per se, but we are bound to abstain. So Ash Wednesday and Good Friday are both fast and abstinence. Okay, both fast and abstinence, Good Friday and Ash Wednesday. The other Fridays of Lent are abstinence only, although many people also choose to fast, all right? And then uh, every obligatory Mass, whether a Sunday Mass or whether a Holy Day of Obligation, recognize in your diocese that 
falls on a weekday that we go to, let's say the Immaculate Conception falls on a Wednesday, let's say, you want to also have a Eucharistic fast before that Mass, just as you would on a Sunday Mass. I guess I've always separated those two in my own mind. Yeah, well, I mean, they are two different categories. There's days of fasting, you are correct, like Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, but then there's also the regular common Eucharistic fast, which the 18 to 59-year-olds are held to. And by the way, uh, good point, Jack, uh, if this is what you're asking uh, in a roundabout way, the 18 to 59 holds also for Good Friday and Ash Wednesday, the fasting of those two days. Uh, next up is Christine in the great state of Florida, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Christine, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, hello, can you hear me? Yes, Christine, thank you so much for your call today. Yeah, um, first time caller, so hope I do this right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and I was just calling in reference to the, the white martyr. It's a new concept to me, okay. um, and it kind of spoke to me in my personal uh, life experience where, you know, as many of us, we have traumas we carry in our lives, and, you know, then a medical diagnosis pops out of nowhere, uh. and uh, you're grappling with it and, you know, trying to remember who you are and um, how I got through that. Yeah. Yeah, great. And and that's, a, that's an absolute excellent, excellent example. Uh, you're seemingly healthy, things are going well and uh, work's going well, everything, and all of a sudden, a medical diagnosis, maybe, maybe you were having some issues in a, with a particular, uh, on, the, on the health front of some, in some way, you go in to get it checked out, and, and the, 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 the tests come back, or the biopsy comes back, and it's an illness, cancer, whatever. How do you deal with that? Are you, are you prepared to deal with that? Can you share with us a little bit, Christine, what were, apart from the initial reaction when you got the news, what were some of the faith things you turned to, faith-wise, that you turned to to stay on the straight and narrow, to be realistic, to not lose hope, to not despair, but to stay on the, on, on the, with the proper focus of things? Can you witness to that at all? Yes, it was, it's been extremely difficult. Um, it, it did occur in my senior year of college, so I was trying okay. to graduate and juggle a lot of things and grow up myself. Right. And... Uh, Luckily, my husband came into my life, and we got married in the church, and I found peace in, in another person, my counterpart, and Great. things didn't click right away. You know, it's, it, those things take time to, to be and become who you are, but now I'm a mother of two, and I'm, I'm happily married going on 10 years, and uh, it's because of him. Well, praise God. Praise God. Yeah, you know, the white martyrdom is synonymous with suffering. It could take on any form. Like I said in the springboard topic, the first nine or so minutes of the show, when I give my springboard, Christine, I, I said it can either come from our own self, our suffering, our white martyrdom can come from ourselves because we're stubborn. We don't want to improve on something that needs improvement in our lives. And we just keep problem on top of problem by our own doing. So the white martyrdom can come from yourself. Or it can come from an outside source, like an illness that all of a sudden you get. You had no control over it, but it came. Uh, so whether whether it's brought on by oneself or whether it comes from an outside source, it's still a white martyrdom. It's still an aspect of suffering, a, a synonym of suffering. Christine, I'd like to invite you to go to fathersofmercy.com, which is my religious community that I'm a member of. I'm a member of the Fathers of Mercy. Go to fathersofmercy.com, and at the homepage, which is the first thing that comes up when you go to fathersofmercy.com, click in the upper right-hand corner on the little magnifying glass icon. When you click on the magnifying glass icon, a search bar comes up in the middle of the screen. 
On that search bar, I want you to type the words aspect of suffering, aspect of suffering. And what will come up is a, is a document, a one-page document called the salvific, meaning saving, the, the salvific and redemptive aspect of suffering. In other words, the fact that suffering can be saving, it can be redeeming. And I give on that one page that's ready to print out on your home printer, Christine, six benefits of suffering. Six benefits of a white martyrdom, in other words. Number one, suffering unites the sufferer with Jesus Christ and his cross, which itself was meant to be saving and redeeming for all, right? He came and died for all. Number two, suffering helps us to be more sympathetic toward others who are suffering. Uh, Number three, suffering and embracing it uh, helps us to expiate and make reparation for our past sins, both mortal and venial, uh, the temporal punishment due for them uh, if they're venial. And if it's forgiven mortal sin, also the temporal punishments that's due for them, which must be expiated either on earth while still living or in purgatory. And I want to do my, my temporal punishment uh, while still living on earth. I want to go straight to heaven when I die. I, I don't want purgatory when I die. I, I want to be able to, to have the greatest of all graces of entering heaven immediately upon my death, meaning that when I die, I will have already have, have atoned for all of my past mortal and venial sin that I had already confessed. Uh, Number four, suffering can be offered up for one's personal needs and intentions and or for the personal needs and intentions of others, living or deceased. Number five, suffering strengthens personal character, thus leading one to grow in such virtues as patience, courage, fortitude, fidelity, and peace. And some of those are part of the listing of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, like courage. Some of them are part of the list of the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, like peace, huh? Number six, lastly, suffering benefits the caregiver, or the caregivers in the plural, of another person, and that he or she, as a caregiver, can benefit from, strengthen their embrace of, and grow in such virtues as having compassion for the other, having empathy for the other, having to practice patience for the other, etc., all by being other-centered as opposed to being self-centered. So in that case, our suffering, our white martyrdom, guess what? takes us out of ourselves because we're able to give to others during the time of our personal suffering, during the time of our white martyrdom. So again, on the search bar type, aspects of suffering or salvific aspects of suffering, it'll come right up as a document ready to print out. Thanks for a great witness call, uh, Christine, and and we hope you call again on Open Line Tuesday one day if if the springboard uh, happens to uh, attract you to, to witness again. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Jeff in the Commonwealth of Virginia, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Jeff, you're on with Father Wade. How you guys doing? Great. Jeff, thank you. All right. So let me have some counsel on uh, Father with this um, situation, which is... um, how do, how am I going to approach this with the confession? Um, I have not been to confession in in a good amount of years. Uh, let's say um, uh, safely, I could say four years, probably, May, maybe three and a half. I can't exactly remember the last time, but um, I need some help in that area. And I just have not been to mass uh, on on a on a consistent basis. I am an over. I am a truck driver over the road. I was over the road, over the country road, meaning over the United States. So, 
it, I, I just quit that job, and I, I'm now I'm basically in near Virginia, D.C., and that sort now. So I'm happy now. I'm in a happy time because now I'm close to home. Uh, so I can uh, be able to get to Mass, I believe, soon. Okay. But with the confession, I'm, I feel bad. I mean, my soul, I know the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, I, I need to go. I, and, and I know I should just call. Uh, I don't have a specific church out here, but yet, but, but I, there's a couple of them that are very good in Virginia. Um, I just haven't, you know, called the office, so maybe give me some things on that, or something I could read from the Church Fathers. Uh, sure. Any- what, what, a great, what a great witness call, Jeff. First of all, you wouldn't necessarily have to make an appointment for confession if you went online to the parish or parishes in your area to find out when their regularly scheduled confessions are. And then what I would do is I would get there 15 minutes early. Let's say the confessions are at 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Get there at 2.45 so that you can be one of the first ones to go to the priest. Since it has been four years since you've gone, um, it won't be a, a, a very long, long confession, but there's some things you might want to talk to the priest about and receive a little bit of spiritual direction from him. After a lapse of four years, I can tell you what a, a wonderful resource would be, Jeff, for you to get. Again, it's at fathersofmercy.com, my community's website, fathersofmercy.com. Uh, click on the magnifying glass icon at the homepage in the upper right-hand side of the page. The search bar comes up in the middle of the page. I type in the words, examination of conscience examination of conscience. And you'll see our PDF files for both our English version and our Spanish version ready to print out. Um, The English version has the blue ink, the Spanish version has the green ink. Uh, Print out the, the English version for yourself, Jeff. Shouldn't take you more than 15 minutes to read through it. It combs through all Ten Commandments in a very balanced, non scrupulous way. It'll prepare you for that confession, which will probably take about Eight or eight or nine minutes at the most, I would think, and you confess simply, huh? You, you're bound to confess any and all known mortal sin according to kind and number, kind and approximate number, and any venial sins that you wish to confess. Be sure to tell the priest up front, "Bless me, Father, for I have sinned." My last confession was four years ago, and Father, I've I've combed through a good examination of conscience, and I've checked mark. Uh, the things I want to confess. And when I'm done saying those, Father, if there's any further questions you want to ask me to guide me, since it has been four years, I would appreciate that. And he might have one or two questions for you after that. Uh, chances are he's going to say you've, you've confessed very well, and it sounds like you had a good examination of conscience. Um, so be at peace. Uh, tremendous, tremendous peace will come through returning to the sacrament of confession, which will make your holy communions more efficacious. Excuse me. And in regards to the girlfriend, as, as provided you're living chastely as single persons not married, uh, there, in other words, there's no cohabitation, there's no fornication, and you have goodwill and good intent to live chastely with her, then this is a great witness to her in your relationship. You know, what's the main purpose of a sacramental marriage, Jeff? It's to help one another get to heaven. All right. What's the main purpose of a chaste courtship, a chaste dating period? Although I don't like to use the word dating, I like the word courtship. What's the whole purpose of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a courtship period? It's to help lead one another to grow in virtue. 
So when, when a married couple comes to me and says, Father, we've been going out for 18 months and we'd like to get married now, my first question to both of them is this. In the last 18 months, have each one of you helped the other grow in virtue? Or has each one of you helped the other one grow in vice? Because if it's the latter, you're not ready for marriage. Because there's no way you can help lead one another to heaven as, as a married couple. There's no way you can help lead one another to, to heaven, which is the main purpose of a sacramental marriage, if you're getting married in, in a state of vice where vice is still prevalent. Okay, so that's what you got to remember. So anyway, uh, get, get, print off the Fathers of Mercy examination of conscience. Be at great, great peace. Make a great confession. I'm going to offer my Vespers and my Compline for you this evening that you, re, you have a great confessor to go to, uh, Jeff, and that he will guide you through a fantastic confession and that you'll then make confession a regular occurrence in your life, such as hopefully once a month or at the least once every month and a half. We need confession frequently in today's day and age. That The culture is just too challenging. So, Jeff, thanks for a great, great witness call yourself today, as so many other callers have been today. Thank you so much. Be sure to check out Catholic Connection tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Teresa Tamio, your host, uh, welcomes Monica Klein, a former Planned Parenthood worker who shares her story and talks about her new ministry, It Takes a Family, and also Joan Lewis checks in with the latest news from the Vatican. That's Catholic Connection tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Maria, first-time caller in the great state of Illinois, listening on Holy Family Radio. Marie, you're on with Father Wade. Thank you, Father Wade. I have an ethics question for you, and I, I seem to be maybe um, in the wrong camp, although this is almost feeling like gaslighting. I think I'm right. If a person has a ministry in the Protestant Church and then leaves that ministry, leaves the Church, and quietly comes into the Catholic Church, but maintains that ministry and the income from it, and does not tell the truth about it to the people who are supporting him. Is that allowed? Is that, is that duplicity? I see it as duplicity. Well, if, if income's involved and the person is receiving an income, I think those who support the ministry have a right to know that you've become a, that the person has become a Catholic, the one who leads the ministry has become a Catholic. Yes, I think that should be made known. You shouldn't hide the fact that you entered the Church. That's a beautiful thing to share with others. Now, the Church is very much for ecumenism. Our Protestant brothers and sisters hold elements of the faith. Okay, the, the the Catholic Church is is we believe is the one true Church. We know her by her four marks: one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Okay, we know through sacred Scripture, tradition, and the Magisterium, and all that is upheld by the Sacred Deposit of Faith, that the Catholic Church holds the fullness of of the faith, the fullness of truth. But our Protestant brothers and sisters, as ecclesial communities. Um, do hold certain elements of the faith. For example, the Presbyterians believe in a Trinitarian God. So do we, right? Uh, the Lutherans believe in a Trinitarian baptism. So do we. So our Protestant brothers and sisters in their respective ecclesial communities do hold elements of the truth, but we would hold they don't hold the fullness of truth. So there's nothing wrong with helping out in a Protestant ministry as an active practicing Catholic, provided you remain just that, an active practicing Catholic. Look at the pro-life front. How many great ecumenical pro-life offices or pro-life organizations are just that? They're ecumenical, but they were spearheaded by what? The Catholic Church, okay? So in your situation, a former Protestant founded and continues to help in and, and receives an income from 
a Protestant ministry tied to a certain Protestant church. That founder now becomes a Catholic. Yes, that, that founder should freely and joyfully share with others that they've become Catholic, but they can contil- still continue to serve and even be the leader of that ministry. In fact, get the Catholic Church, get some Catholics involved in that ministry, that Protestant-founded ministry, provided those Catholics don't give up their Catholic faith but continue to practice it. So, for example, you might have a young courting couple where the, the boyfriend's a Catholic and the girlfriend's a Baptist. There's nothing wrong with him going to her Baptist church, provided he doesn't give up his Catholic faith. There's nothing wrong with him continuing to worship with his future bride in her Baptist church, let's say especially if her father or grandfather is the pastor, so provided he doesn't forego his Sunday Eucharist, his regular confession, and, and doesn't forego getting married in the church, or at least with a Catholic witness. You know, She might want the marriage to take place in her Baptist church precisely because her father's the pastor. Well, that's fine. In that case, the Catholic boyfriend's just going to have to get a proper dispensation from his bishop to marry her in her Baptist church with a, a Catholic witness being present. In that case, it's a sacramental wedding, according to the Catholic Church, and Catholics can go to it because there was a proper dispensation given for it. Okay? Well, this situation isn't much different, provided the Catholic, whether it's the leader and founder of the organization or other Catholics helping out in this Protestant ministry organization, provided they don't forego their Catholic faith and forego their Sunday obligation mass, etc., the Church is all for ecumenism, especially in community efforts, like pro-life efforts, or those efforts which assist the poor, okay? So that's, it's a wonderful thing. But to answer a, a one specific point of your question, yes, I, I think the owner, especially if they're drawing an income, should let the others know, especially the donors and, and others as well, that are involved with mystery, that they've become a Catholic. I do think that's a good idea. I, think, I do think that would be ethical to do, and we shouldn't be ashamed of that either. Okay, does that help you out? It does, and this particular individual, I, I asked his wife, "Well, why, why don't you tell? Have you told them?" And her answer is, "No, because they cut off our funding immediately, so they're anti-Catholic." So okay, they're well, keeping it very that, much on the If that's the case, then I think it's time for the new Catholic leader and founder to simply graciously forego that ministry and found something similar in the Catholic Church. Yeah, thanks so much, Marie. We appreciate the phone call. Great Al, Al in Phoenix. Vincent in New Jersey, Elena in New Jersey, hang on the line. We're gonna we're gonna uh, take your phone calls in just a moment. We're gonna be uh, recording a mailbag edition of Open Line Tuesday. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. Saint Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us on behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, producer Michael. McC- Call, call screener Matt Gubensky and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow. Until we get together then, God bless.